Good morning. You know, a lot of people these days see religious observance as a kind of drudgery. Um, maybe you do. Uh, forced by other people or by guilt or by some sort of manipulation to give up on all your fun and lead a more bland, droopy kind of life or maybe a tight-lipped, stern one. As if Christians have to either be doormats or be mean. It's a really sad perversion of the faith, I think, because Jesus is the Lord of the feast, and he describes coming to him as life to the full. And we all know, I think we can all agree, that rules upon rules and the compulsion to follow them uh, is not life to the full. Honestly, the religious language in the passage that we read today from Romans reminds me more of the rule book than the feast. You know, my brain doesn't easily connect the words righteousness and holiness to something beautiful and flourishing. It's, those words are much more likely to conjure for me images of a scowling face and a pointing finger. And Paul's slavery metaphor, like, really doesn't help uh, the tone, I think, of the passage. And Paul says his metaphor is not perfect. He says, I'm using an example from everyday life because of your limitations. Um, so I thought we could try and use another imperfect metaphor to see if that helps. So let's talk about speed limits. It's a law we're all pretty familiar with. Speed limits were put in place to um, protect people from getting hurt, to ensure that everyone in a community could flourish, right? Because um, people, it turns out, are not that great are at making those kinds of decisions. So it's not unlike the Old Testament law, which was put in place to limit our violence and to help build a community. So let's think about all the ways that people respond to speed limits. Some people feel super proud as they brazenly flout it and speed down the road. Um, like just because it's there, they want to break it. Others feel okay with themselves if they go 10 over because they know they won't get pulled over. Um, you know who you are. They're not exactly keeping the law, but it's close, right? Um, others won't even go one over because they care so much about doing what they should. Uh, or maybe because they care about the community. Um, and how could anyone ever think of speeding when lives are at stake? Maybe they drive just a little bit slower than the limit because just to show how much they care. They might feel some pride about their decisions, maybe some derision at those who behave differently than them. But no matter the choice, it's all in reference to the number on the sign, all in reference to the rule. But then let's imagine that you move to a country where there are no speed limits, none at all. There are roads and cars, but no signs and no numbers and no cops waiting to pull you over. What then? Shall we speed because we are no longer under the law? Should we just go as fast as we can because we can? And Paul's answer to that question is no, that's stupid. That's my translation. Um, since the law is gone, you are no longer beholden to the law or judged by it, but you will still somehow have to decide how fast you're gonna go. And how are you gonna make that decision? What is gonna govern your choice? Do you see in like making the decision about how fast you'll go in a place where there's no law about it, you still are gonna have to submit yourself to something. Like Bob Dylan saying, you're gonna have to serve somebody no matter who you are, you're gonna have to serve somebody. And will you make your decision 
based on your own schedule and thrill-seeking, saying, no one gets to tell me what to do? Or will you consider others? Consider love? It's another way of asking maybe, will you serve sin or will you serve righteousness? Will you choose a force that leads to death or a force that will lead to life and flourishing? And if you choose the latter, you still manage to fulfill the law that's not there anymore, right? Because that's why it would have been there in the first place. I hope this is making sense. You have all in this new country been given a freedom to step away from the number on the sign and all the struggle with yourself about whether or not you'll keep it and by how much and what does it mean to keep it. You've been given freedom from the fear of judgment for not keeping it. And with that comes a freedom to return again to the heart behind it, to choose to serve the love that made that number appear in the first place or not. Paul says that when we offer ourselves to love, we are shaped by it. And the same is true when we offer ourselves to sin. So if you want to continue with the metaphor, driving too fast kills people. And the more you don't consider others, the more death you create, and the more callous you become. The more you try to get everywhere in a hurry, the more other people will get in your way and the more road rage you'll experience. You choose your own pleasure and your own schedule at the expense of others, and that shapes you. You offer yourselves as, as a slave to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness. And the same is true if you choose righteousness. If you let the righteousness govern your, your decision, it leads to holiness, which then leads to eternal life, Paul says. You are shaped by it until it blossoms into life everlasting. Now, I don't love those words, righteousness and holiness, because they've been so hollowed out. Um, I think it's helpful to think of righteousness as right relatedness, as in all your relationships are right. Um, your relationship with God, within yourself, with one another, and with the land or the rest of creation. God made you to have whole and flourishing relationships in every direction and to know the joy and peace that comes of that. You were made to enjoy that goodness. And the more your decisions are governed by right relatedness, the more you are shaped by the love of God. The more you come into union with God, the more you are holy. I like how Eugene Peterson puts it in the message. He says, a whole, a whole healed life right now with more and more life on the way. So in the terms of the land without speed limits, the more you let your love govern the speed of your car, the more you draw your eye to the community around you, to the needs within you and to the needs of others, the more you will be shaped by that love. And so maybe sometimes you'll drive slowly through a school zone and maybe other times you'll race to the hospital. Now you are free for love, whatever love looks like. No matter what number, no matter what a number on a sign might have said. And that kind of attention will make your community a stronger place. That kind of focused intention on your part will shape your heart. It will lead to thriving and flourishing within you and around you. You are free from the law. But there's no such thing, Paul seems to be saying as total freedom to do whatever you want. 
you will always serve somebody. Something will govern your decisions. And it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you gotta serve somebody. It's Bob Dylan again. That's why you hear in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus calling people back to the heart of the thing, right? Um, he says, you have heard it said, don't murder, but I tell you, don't even think about it. Don't even go so far as to dehumanize someone by calling them a fool or raka, which is kind of equivalent to idiot. Don't even write somebody off. You know, the rule, don't murder, kept things in line, but it is the heart of the thing that matters. Jesus was calling people back to what it was about in the first place. Don't let sin govern you and don't let the rule govern you. Know the love of God and submit yourselves to that. Now, Paul is talking to Christians in Romans. So he says, thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have now become slaves to righteousness. In Jesus's life and death and resurrection, he both fulfilled the law and broke the power of sin and death over us. And by your faith in Jesus and your baptism, you join in that same death and resurrection. Um, so this, I think, is a tricky thing to understand. Um, but for the Christian, it is the very thing that takes you out from under the law that also makes you obedient to love. Your faith in Jesus. Your baptism into Jesus' name is the very thing that carries you from the land of speeding limits and their attendant tickets to the land where those things don't exist and don't need to. It's that same faith. That same faith includes your obedience. Because faith, it's another religious word that has kind of been hollowed out. It really just means to trust, right? And your trust in anything is revealed by how you behave toward it. If you trust God, you will listen to God and your obedience is included in that faith. So just to keep on stretching the metaphor, maybe to a breaking point, just by choosing to move to the new country, the country with no speed limits, you also become the kind of person who would choose without limits to obey love rather than sin. It's one motion. Paul talks about that same thing earlier in uh, chapter six of Romans. And I really like how Eugene Peterson puts it in the message. He uses that language of a new country. It says this, if we have left the country where sin is sovereign, how can you still live in your old house there? Or didn't you realize that we packed up and left there for good? That's what happened in baptism. When you went under the water, we left, you left the old country behind. When you came up out of the water, you entered a new country of grace, a new life in a new land. While sin was sovereign in the old land, Jesus is sovereign in the new land. Your faith is the plane that you flew on to get from one land to the other, and your faith is also the country that you live in and the choices that you make while you're in it. And the slavery that Paul talks about in our passage is not one that is governed by a tyrant with a whip. It is one that is compelled from below. We love because God first loved us. It's less like coercion and more like wooing. It doesn't force you to become someone else. It calls you back to yourself. 
It doesn't sap the joy out of everything. It fills it all with love. It leads it all to flourish. It's not all about rules and regulations. It's about healing and justice and wholeness and the full-throated pursuit of those things. It's about moving in, with the deep goodness of God's creation instead of against it. It's, about, it's not about endless Bible studies and Sunday school classes, though those things are great. Um, it's about giving yourself over to love and not the flimsy kind of love that we read about in romance novels. This is the love of a God who turned water into wine so the wedding celebration wouldn't be ruined. The love that stoops down to touch people that no one else would touch. Who draws in the outsider who stands up with the poor. Who does everything, everything to make our relationships right, to strengthen the weak, to make broken things whole again. Everything, everything to love us. This is the God who calls us to join the feast, even now. Even now, may we have faith in this God of ours. Please pray with me. Lord, you are good and your love endures forever. Your faithfulness to all generations. And thank you so much that what you call us to is love. That righteousness is flourishing and right relatedness. That, that obedience to you is a return to ourselves. May we see the incredible good news of your gospel. May we be freed by it freed from rules and shoulds, freed to love. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.